following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, as you remain standing for the reading of God's Word to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah. As we have come to the conclusion of our study in the book of Hebrews, we now find ourselves studying the minor prophets. As I was coming to the end of Hebrews, I prayed about it for a long time, and and I thought to myself, who studies Obadiah? You know? <laughs> But I really felt the Lord kind of nudging me in the direction of the minor prophets. And as I uh, made my preparation, I really kind of came to the conclusion that I am the last person that should be teaching the minor prophets. And uh, it's, it's an encouragement to me when I am reminded how little I truly know. The Bible is this way, is it not? We can learn more and more about our trades or about our hobbies, and we feel like we become experts. But the more we learn about Scripture, the more we realize we're the furthest thing from an expert. And you almost get this sense of, uh, I I don't know much now. When I first started reading, I thought I knew a lot, and then (laughs) I read a little bit more, and I thought I knew even more. And then I'm reminded every time I open the Word of God how little I truly know. But let's look in Obadiah, and we're going to read the entire book this morning. It's only one chapter. We'll survive. Obadiah, the only chapter, starting in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle... And though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to thy bo- to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. 
There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, old Teman, shall be dismayed uh, to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob shall come, uh, shall uh, cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the uh, day that thou became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day that their destruction of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked upon their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of the host of the children of Israel shall possess uh, that of the Canaanites even unto Zarephath, and the Canaanites even, uh, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in uh, Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south, and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Father, bless the reading of your word, as it always is blessed. But Father, open our hearts this morning as we study it, and reveal to us things that we need to adjust in our own life. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we get into our study here, we're going to, the goal is to go through the Minor Prophets book by book. Now, if you have studied the Minor Prophets or if you have studied Bible at any length, you probably have already recognized that I did not start with the first Minor Prophet. But I did start with the first Minor Prophet. I did not start with the first Minor Prophet that is located in your Bible. I started with the first Minor Prophet of uh, uh, chronology. 
And so we're going to go at this in a more of a chronological form. So I'm going to hit Obadiah first because this is the first one that would have been written. And we're going to look at that a little bit more here in just a moment. But as we make our way through the study of the minor prophets, my hope is that we get a pretty good view of all that the minor prophets are telling us. Now, I think it's important for us to understand the term minor prophet does not mean minor as in less important, but minor as in size. The minor prophets are not minor prophets because they are smaller in degree or not quite as important as the major prophets. They're minor prophets because of the size. Obadiah bears this out, being the smallest book of the Old Testament and the smallest of the minor prophets. But what we look at as we get into this book, we need to understand the author, we need to understand the date, we need to understand all these things. But the main view that we find in the book of Obadiah is that it is dealing primarily with the uh, punishment of Edom as a result of Edom's unbrotherly and unloving and uncaring uh, conduct toward Judah in their days of calamity. If you notice, when we were reading through, we read the word calamity several times over. And so the idea kind of comes into this uh, in uh, uh, sort of a way, uh, uh, maybe if um, you had brothers or sisters and, and perhaps uh, you were in trouble and um, you had already, I mean, you were in it deep. I can remember one time where I was on the way home from church and my father was asking me about all the different things that I had done and why I had done it this way and what, and I was, I was in trouble and I was in trouble big. And I happened to have a friend of mine that had gone to church that day with me. And dad was driving him home in the same process. And for some stupid reason, he decided to bring up something else that happened that night as well. And I'm sitting there in the car just thinking to myself, if my father was not so close, I would strangle you where you sit. Here I was in calamity. And rather than just sit there quietly and let me endure my calamity, he decided to add calamity upon calamity. Many times we've had these kind of issues, or perhaps we've been in a bad situation and a bad day, or things were going awry, and someone just decided to add a little bit of salt to the wound. This is what Edom had done. We're going to go through this over the course of the next several uh, messages as we examine Obadiah. Well, let's understand a few things about this author. The, uh, the author, Obadiah, there are 12 or more individuals in the Old Testament uh, that have this name, Obadiah. So knowing exactly which Obadiah this is, it becomes difficult. We're not 100% sure on the uh, uh, exactness of who this man was. Um, but what we do know is that the, um, the book itself is a prophetic look uh, through, uh, from God directly through this man, Obadiah. The name Obadiah simply means worshiper or servant of the Lord. It was a very common name in those days. Uh, the idea that Obadiah's name is of any importance, just think about it for a moment. His name can be literally translated worshiper of Yahweh or... 
And it would be just as correct to translate it as servant of Yahweh. Now, if we understand what that name really means, then we should have a pretty good idea of what it means to worship ourselves. Serve. It means to serve. It doesn't mean to just be part of. It doesn't mean to even show up and just raise a holy hand. Worshiping God is serving God. I've been in uh, uh, services before where <clears throat> when you're standing in the service and then you got, you got this person over here and they're raising two hands. This person over here, they're raising one hand. And then this person over here, they're not just raising them, they're waving them. And then this person, they're just kind of part way. They're, they don't want to fully commit or something. They're just kind of part way, right? And you kind of feel like uh, you're staring, you're looking going, man, Am I supposed to, I better be, put mine up too, because I don't want to be the only one. Not, that's not what it's about. But then I've also been in other services where everybody stands there like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. That's not worship either. You see, worship is something that comes at and flows out of who he is. It's something that because of who he is, and as I'm singing and I'm coming to that point, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and my hand can't do anything but raise to him in testimony. Yes, that's my God. Not because, well, they're doing it, I better do it too. Not because ain't nobody doing it. I mean, somebody better wave a hand around this place. Okay? So worship is serving. What am I doing for him? That's what it really comes down to. So moving beyond the author, let's look at the date uh, of this. Another issue with nailing down the author is that of date. If you'll notice, the very beginning of the book of Obadiah just starts out this way. The vision of Obadiah. Now, if you were to look, if you wanted to go back to the uh, book just before this, which is the book of Amos, you can notice how his starts. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, when, uh, which he saw concerning Israel in the day of Uzziah, king of Judah. We know exactly when that was, because all we have to do is go back to the timeline and find out when Uzziah was king of Jerusalem, king of Judah. Uh, if you did the same thing in the book of Joel, uh, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Joel, the son of Pethuel. So we can go back through etymologies and we can find out who this Joel is specifically by narrowing things down and understanding who his father was. We don't get that with Obadiah. It just simply says the vision of Obadiah. Apparently, God had given Obadiah a vision and let him know some things were getting ready to take place. So it makes it difficult for us to date it now, the date is greatly debated. It's one of those, if you were to pick up uh, five different commentaries, you're probably going to find five different ideas as to when the book of Obadiah was written. The date uh, being debated, though, we're going to get, um, uh, there's really no problem with the theme of it because the theme is very evident. 
But while some have dated this as late as the, even the 4th century B.C., which I don't believe that that can be accurate at all because uh, there was a period uh, 400 years before Christ where there was no discussion, there was no revelation from the Lord. And so to place uh, Obadiah's writing, uh, as one has said, even into the 300s kind of goes against that. So we don't, we don't really take that one uh, as seriously. Um, but... Most attribute it to two predominant uh, times, the first one being post-586, which would have been when the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar came, and this idea that um, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took captive Israel and he weighed, laid everything waste. That was 586, and so a lot of people believe that Obadiah may have been written in 587, 580, or I'm sorry, 580, um, uh, uh, post-586 B.C., you got to work backwards, so 585, 584, somewhere in that area. Then the earlier date comes in around 840 B.C. during Jehoram into Joash's reign. If you want to just take your hand here and jump back to understand what was going on there, you can go to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Work your way back to 2 Chronicles In chapter 21. And drop down into verse number 8. This is talking about Jehoram's uh, reign. It says, In his days the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the uh, captains uh, of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this this day. Uh, uh, The same uh, time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he had made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Judah of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereunto. And there came a writing to him from the Lord God of uh, David, or of, I'm sorry, from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David, thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, uh, thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, the king of Judah, uh, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, uh, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with, uh, with a great plague will the Lord smite the people, and thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods, and thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until thou bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives, so that there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all that the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease, and it came to pass that in the process of time after the end of two years his bowels fell out, 
uh, by reason of the sickness. Uh, so he died of sore diseases, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Now I want you to note something for just a minute. This Jehoram reigned for eight years, and then he dies. And this term, without being desired, means no one missed him. No one missed him. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulcher of the kings. Now, <clears throat> this gives a little bit of an, uh, uh, of an idea as to what was taking place. And if you were to study, uh, there were four different times that the children of Israel had been invaded. Uh, this time was the second of those four times. And this is one of those uh, days where um, the children of Israel had things, uh, real bad days come upon them. And then what took place after that was Edom had come in and decided, let's kick them while they're down and started to uh, take advantage of things. They came in and they plundered. Uh, if you were to go back to Obadiah, you read about Edom's uh, involvement in the day of calamity. Uh, you drop down just below verse 11, in the, uh, verse, uh, look at verse 11, and in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. And thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in, in, uh, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. And if you even drop down into verse 13 toward the end of it, it says, uh, nor laid hands on their substance. So apparently they went in and they, um, uh, they, they looted them when they were at their low point. Verse 14, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those uh, uh, of his that did remain in the day of distress. And so apparently what the Edomites had done is while they were under attack and these uh, uh, these uh, people of Judah were fleeing and trying to get away, that they would stand and they would block their exit and stop and capture them and deliver them to the enemy. And then later on, when uh, uh, when they found people that had maybe been hiding or what have you, they went and they captured them and delivered them to the enemies. So this is a pretty ruthless group of people. And so when we look at dating, we see no real involvement from Edom in the day that Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, Bab the Babylonian... Um, uh, siege took place. We don't find that really with Edom in that scenario. So for me to place uh, to place Edom and uh, the book of Obadiah post the exile, the Babylonian exile, you really don't read much. And uh, Obadiah doesn't mention anything about the temple being destroyed, about uh, about the place being laid waste, like as, which is what happened during the day um, of Nebuchadnezzar. So the earlier date of 840 B.C. in that ballpark during Jehoram and Joash's reign uh, seems to be a little more uh, plausible. The One of the uh, arguments that I read as I was preparing for this was that because Jeremiah and Obadiah have very similar prophecies. Jeremiah uh, 
if you were to read through the book of Jeremiah, you'd come across uh, almost word for word what we find in Obadiah with just a few things uh, edited. Maybe he was quoting from memory when he was writing it down. We don't know for certain. But they said that the reason that they would place Obadiah around Jeremiah's time is because Obadiah would not have stooped to quoting from a minor prophet since he was a major prophet. And again, that completely misses the idea of major and minor prophets. I believe that Obadiah was the earlier and Jeremiah would have been quoting from Obadiah with no problem. So now we get into the subject and then the outline. Look at the outline with me here. We're going to follow this. Some have parsed this book into two portions, with 1 through 16 being the destruction of Edom and the cause, and verses 17 through 21, the restoration. But we're going to parse it out in three ways for our study. Uh, The first one will be Edom's judgment, verses 1 through 9. The second will be reasons for their judgment, verses 10 through 14. And then third and finally, the day of the Lord, being verses 15 through 21. And you'll also want to note that we read the term day of the Lord over and over again through uh, a lot of the prophets. Obadiah was the one that introduced this term. And so when we read the day of the Lord, you can thank Obadiah for being the first one to write it down. Now, that I have officially put 75% of you to sleep, let's wake you back up for a moment. I know some of you are like, This is the most boring thing I have ever heard in my life. So all of that by way of introduction, I'm not going to keep you that much longer. In our remaining time here, let's let's look at Edom itself to gain an idea of what we're reading, who this Edom is, where they were, and why do they even matter. So let's take a close look at this this morning with the remaining time. So this Edom, who is Edom? Well, if you drop back into the book of Genesis with me, Genesis chapter 25, let's take a little journey to find out why why Edom and the Israelites have bad blood. This is almost, if you really want to have some fun, this could be the Hatfield and the McCoys of the Old Testament. So, yes... West Virginia and Kentucky are not the only places that have feuds. It began here. Take a look with me, if you would, Genesis chapter 25. And look at verse 20 with me. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger." And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came out his brother, came his brother out, his hand took hold on Esau's heel, 
and his name was called Jacob, which means grabber. Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, let's get a little bit more of an idea. This Esau and uh, Jacob, and Jacob, if you remember, through the years, uh, as he grows, and later on, he finds himself wrestling with God, and uh, he's holding on, he's, he's uh, God's uh, uh, wrestling around with him, and he touches the hollow of his thigh, and it, it dislocates, dislodges, and, and causes him to have to limp the rest of his days, but God says, I'm going to give you a new name, and that new name is Israel. Well, we have Esau, and look with me at verse 29. It says, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said, Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. The name Edom means red. This is kind of a nickname that he had, had uh, uh, developed, and because he was red, he had red hair, he was red all over, he was hairy red, and then he sold his birthright, as we continue to read here, for a bowl of red soup, bowl of red stew. Look with me, continue with me on verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore uh, was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what shall uh, profit me this birthright? Uh, profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So a little history can really explain a lot. And to understand why judgment would come, it's important to know the background of the story. You know, we can always look, and, and there are times where I remember as I grew up, and I know as a father now, there are times where I walk into a, a, a melee with my kids, and, and there's usually one in the corner doing this number. He hit me, Dad. She hit me, Dad, right? And that's what's going on. And so you walk in, why did you hit her? Why did you hit him? Why were you doing And you didn't catch the 15 minutes prior to that where the whole time they were going, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, Right? We didn't witness the antagonism. All we saw was the red mark across the face. <laughs> How dare you strike your sister? Well, did you see what she was doing to me? <laughs> and so it's important for us to catch the full story as, as uh, um, we can get into this and we would start to understand what's going on. So God blesses Rebecca with twins. They were constantly at war with one another, even in her belly. Says that they were constantly going at it. And she's like, God, what in the world's going on here? And he says, you've got two different nations, and they're always going to be battling with one another. So as we understand that, then we note what 
transpired and reveals the mind and the nature as we see here in verses 29 through 34, what happens uh, where the, uh, the one, he wants the birthright and the other doesn't care. And if you remember when we were going through uh, uh, our study in the book of Hebrews, we read and we, we discussed this. We noted this in that study that Esau did not care about the spiritual, only the physical riches. That even if you remember correctly, when we were in the book of Hebrews, and if you want to flip over to Hebrews, it's in chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. It even talks about, it refers to Esau as this profane individual who despised his birthright. And then it says that he sought uh, his birthright, but couldn't find any uh, and he, he had no repentance, and he couldn't find, even though he sought that birthright, he cried about it with tears. He wasn't upset about the fact that he had sold his God-given rights. He hadn't, he didn't care. It didn't bother him that he had, he had pushed the spiritual away. The only thing that bothered him was the fact that he wasn't going to get all the money, land, and property. That's what bothered him. So Esau, not only does he not care about the birthright, but if you are still in the book of Genesis and jump over, um, Look over to chapter 26, and look at verse 34 with me. Verse 34, and Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and uh, Beshemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, if you were to read chapter 28, 26, 27, uh, 36, uh, you'd find over and over again where Esau took wives that were outside of the faith. Now, I, I've heard a lot of people talking about interracial marriage being a bad thing. There is no such thing. The only thing that comes into play is saved and unsaved. A born-again child of God has no business marrying someone who is not. The color of their skin doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, is this a equally yoked union? That's where we stop. Esau, it doesn't matter what nationality he was marrying. What matters is the fact that he was marrying women who did not follow the one true God. And he does this over and over again. He marries Canaanites. He marries Hittites. He marries Ishmaelites. He marries Hivites and Horites. But look at at chapter 26 in verse 35, the following verse to what we just read, which were a grief... Of mind unto Isaac and Rebekah. And so this Esau, he did what he wanted, when he wanted, and it didn't matter to him anything of anybody else. We get a pretty good idea and a pretty good understanding of this Esau now. And so then it says that he inhabited the area around Mount Seir. Let's take a look at what this is. So we have Edom. Uh, Edom is actually located, let's bring those maps up there, and let's see if we can notice these things. If you'll notice, Edom, there's just below 
the, uh, the Dead Sea there. You have Moab to the right, and you have Sinai down to the bottom left. Edom would have been located down to the bottom right there. Uh, and you had what was referred to as the King's Highway. Earlier, Brother Dave was reading from Numbers 20, that dotted line on the right-hand side that goes from the bottom all the way to the top was what was referred to as the King's Highway. Now, Edom was located down here by Moab, and you have Basra at the top, and you have Teman at the right there. But the right between those two is where you would find a city that you probably are familiar with known as Petra. Petra was that great... Uh, built into the stones, built into the uh, in, into the crevices, city. It was a great uh, um, uh, cliff on either side, and you had this passage between the cliffs. It was right in the middle of the King's Highway. For you to get around, it would have added days to your journey, but you could cut straight through there. And what it, what Edom would do is they would exact tolls upon people. You want to pass through our land, you have to pay the toll. You can come on through, but then it was a much dangerous way around if you didn't go through, and it was a lot longer around. It would have been a whole lot better for you to just make your way through. So merchants would come through, and they would have to pay the toll, and then if they wanted to sell their wares, then they had to pay a a, a fine or a tax on that. Edom was in a beautiful location. Let's put some of these pictures of Edom up. And so the way it made, you couldn't necessarily just drive there in your Jeep, okay? You, you got to get there uh, uh, on purpose. And so you'd make your way down through these crevasses, and, and as you uh, make your way along these, uh, these paths, you come up and you start to see these buildings carved into the side of the, uh, uh, of the mountain there. And so if you've seen pictures, if you've ever studied the city of Petra, you have this great civilization that was almost impregnable. It was almost completely um, devoid of anything that could, uh, uh, could come in the way. Uh, there was actually um, one uh, historian actually referred to this as a place where 12 men could easily defend the entire city against armies of thousands. Now, with that in mind, Edom's location being that trade route and everything, let's look again at Obadiah. Notice what it says here. Verse 3, Obadiah, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rocks, whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Twelve men could defeat an army easily. They were in the prime location. I want you to remember Jacob and Esau. Jacob, he was the mama's boy sitting at home in tents, probably the bookworm. Esau... He was the man. It says that he was a cunning hunter. I mean, you can see how he developed and built his civilization. He was pretty smart. He was a military genius, right? 
And so when you fast forward in time through Jacob and Esau, they have that parting of ways. And then a little bit later, Jacob even uh, tricks his father. If you were to continue to read through there, uh, Jacob tricks his father pretending to be Esau so that he would get the birthright and get the blessing. But then later on, you read where Jacob and Esau, they come up to one another together and Esau hugs him and says, everything's okay. You know why? It's not because he had spiritually gotten everything correct and I've got just as close of a walk with the Lord as you do. It was because I've got just as much as you do. And so it doesn't bother Esau anymore that that Jacob took the riches and everything because Esau went out and he amassed it himself. And he says, look at all that I have. I'm a self-made man. A lot of people today, Self-made men, self-made women. I didn't need anybody to help me get to where I am today. I did it my way. That was Edom. And as Jacob limped to that meeting, he was reminded. (laughs) I didn't do it my way because every time I tried to do it my way, I ended up in trouble. The only thing that got me here is him. That's it. A lot of people still trying to get things done their way. I want you to notice just a few more things with this, and then we're going to be done. Uh, Skip number eight there, will you please, and jump straight to application. Let's look at uh, a few things with this and how we can apply it today. In seeking to understand the relationship between the people of Israel and Edom, we can see how the animosity and uh, we can see how the hatred of the descendants of Esau had, uh, that Esau had for the Jews. They lived as a constant reminder of something. I want you to note that today, many people hear God's word time and time and time again and despise it just like Esau. Esau knew what this birthright was. Didn't mean much to him. Eh, I don't really care. Eh, I can get stuff anywhere. I can get, there's better land. It didn't bother Esau. But I imagine as, uh, as Jacob would talk with Esau and would talk with, uh, with Jacob, uh, as uh, um, Isaac would talk with Jacob and Esau, and he would, he would instruct them, and Rebekah would retell the promises of God. The only thing going through Esau's mind was, you mean we get all that land? Wow. We get all that? What went through Jacob's mind is, God promised that? We're going to be able to be a blessing to God? You see the difference. Edom lived as a constant reminder, though, of God's long-suffering, and time after time after time, opportunity presented itself for Edom to reconcile. This was their brother. 
Edom's great-grandfather and Israel's great-grandfathers were brothers. They should have helped one another. They shouldn't have been acting this way toward one another. Shouldn't have been at war with one another. They should have been working to, to reconcile, to live together, to serve the same God together. But instead, they always fought. And Edom always fought, not just against Judah, but against God. I said just a moment ago that they're a living example. Well, they were a living example of God's long-suffering. Those of us who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God, I want you to hear something and hear it very clearly. When we ignore God's Word day after day after day, and the truth of God's word being revealed to us week after week, time after time, and we still despise it saying, it doesn't mean that much to me. It doesn't bother me. I'm okay to continue in this sin. I'm okay to continue in this practice. I want you to understand, Edom did the same thing. And there came a day where God said, that's enough. And it came to an end a screeching halt. Number two, Edom could have come to the rescue of God's people, but instead they participated in the calamity. Because of that, I want you to understand something that we're going to learn with this study. God will hold men responsible for their actions. We must submit to his way, his way. Submission to God's will prevents bitterness and jealousy. It prevents envy. Do, do you understand something here? Bitterness is sin. A lot of us don't want to hear that. I can be bitter and the only person that's going to bother is me. No. Earlier Dave read from Numbers. And let's look at this, and we're going to make our close. Drop to Deuteronomy. Jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 23. You remember what happened? The children of Israel wanted to pass through Edom. They wanted, they said, we're going to stay on the king's highway. They wanted to just make their way through, get to the other side, and Edom said, no. They said, we'll pay you just like you charge everybody else. We'll pay too. They said, no. If our animals just drink water, we'll pay for that. They said, no. Matter of fact, if you try to cross through our land, we're going to come out and we'll kill you. They had just left Egypt, which had enslaved them. Do you think the children of Israel might have been a little bitter? Do you think maybe they would have had ill feelings and ill will toward the uh, Edomites and toward the Egyptians? Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look at verse 7. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. Ooh. You know what God's telling his people? Don't be bitter. 
we're gonna learn as we get into this. God will always hold men responsible for their actions and their reactions. Last, if you jump to Psalm 61, you can do this in your own time, write it down. But you'll find very quickly that our refuge and our defense is God. Our refuge is God. He is our defense. We have nothing to be so arrogant about. So pride must be abandoned. So as we develop our study, we will see examples of how God's speaking comes to pass with all of this back in Obadiah there. We'll end with this. Look at verse 18. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. Note the last part of this. For the Lord hath spoken it. What God says will come to pass. When God speaks, you write it down. It's a guarantee. So whatever a man sows, that he will reap. You want to play with sin, you're going to reap the benefits. You want to put off obeying God, you're going to reap the benefits. You want to keep saying no and despising God when he says, this is what I want you to do. This is the way. Walk in it. And we constantly keep saying, no, no, I'm doing it my way. We'll reap. It's a promise. Because God hath spoken it. His word is Full. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. It's sin. As we continue our study, we're going to look at quite a bit more in this. But this morning, what I really would like to just end with is our focusing on am I playing the part of Edom today? Am I playing the part of Esau? Am I hearing God's word but despising it and just saying, eh, that sounds nice and it may work for you, but I'm going to do it a different way? Am I living void of the, of, of the reality that God will hold me responsible? And what is my refuge and my strength? Is it Him? Or has the pride in my heart deceived me? If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, it's because the pride of your heart hath deceived you. Humble yourself before a mighty God. If you're here today and you are claiming to be a born-again child of God, yet you continue to live in sin, it's because the pride of your heart has deceived you. And you need to humble yourself before a mighty God. 
Let's go to him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example. We thank you for the example that Edom does play to us of of how you are so long-suffering and so good to us. Father, I'm blown away at your grace, your mercy, and your patience. But Father, I'm also reminded that you do have a limit to how long you'll put up with it. So, Father, this morning I want you to be very evident in our mind's eyes. And, Father, that you would expose to us things that we're putting off or we're not not focusing on, we're we're not being obedient with. That, God, we would simply surrender that to you. We pray these things, Father, because you and you alone are the one worthy of our praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, You may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.